Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you for joining us for Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller, joined in the studio, as always, by my producer, Andy Robb, and my director of audio services, Ken Prowl. And this week, guys, we are talking about the blizzard of 1993. Storm of the century. Storm of the century. I've heard it called snowicane. Uh, you know, storm, really, it's almost biblical proportions because... At one point in time, I was talking to Bernie Reno. He's our chief meteorologist on the AccuWeather Network. So we were chatting this morning. He was here during that storm. At one point, it stretched all the way from Canada to Cuba. The tail end of this front caused severe damage in Cuba. That's crazy to think about. Incredibly high winds. Right. And then the other thing was, at one point, there was snow falling from Caribou, Maine, to Atlanta. Wow. wow. You know, so this was just a huge storm. What what were you guys doing at the time of the storm? I was a junior in high school and oh, don't remember <laughs> don't remember <laughs> anything about that storm <laughs> whatsoever. Exactly. All you cared about was what you were doing that weekend, you know? <laughs> Where are we going this weekend, guys? Yep. Um, what about you, Andy? I was in second grade, oh and <laughs> I remember I remember '96 a lot more uh, than '93. But around here, where the AccuWeather headquarters is, Central Pennsylvania really got hammered, it and really a lot did. of snow. And and you were here at that time. Well, I wasn't. I, I actually, this was when I was a stay-at-home mom, actually a brand new mom. So the interesting part for me was I was pregnant with my daughter, and she was due. During the storm is when, oh, wow. she, no way. When, when I was supposed to have her. Fortunately, we went early because I said later she on. She didn't want to miss the storm. She didn't want to miss the storm. <laughs> well, I had said there was a state of emergency in Pennsylvania. So I had said to someone, what would I have done? Because there were no vehicles able to get through, which you're going to hear some of the stories coming up. But I was. they said, well, you would have had to hitch a ride with like a PennDOT plow truck or something <laughs> to get to the hospital. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Right. So up next, we are going to be talking to several of our meteorologists that actually worked through the storm, and it was quite an effort to even get here. And we'll hear their stories, so stay with us. Well, today I'm joined in the studio by some of my favorite people who have joined me on the AccuWeather podcast before. I'm with recently retired Chief Meteorologist Elliot Abrams, also Paul Pastelock, our long-range meteorologist, and Dave Dombeck, our meteorologist who's been here many occasions. And today, guys, we are talking about the storm of the century, the blizzard of 1993 that occurred from Friday, March 12th through Sunday, March 14th. So thanks for sitting down with me today, guys. Our pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Looking forward right, to this. This is exciting. I got your drift. You get my... <laughs> He's already... But um, bum uh, But anyway, we were talking even before we went on the podcast here about some of our memories. And so I thought we would start off by talking about... Because not only 
do we have our memories of forecasting this, but actually of living through it because it was a crazy storm. And so tell me a little bit, and any one of you can jump in, uh, about what you remember about the evolution of this storm because we'll try and kind of talk about how it was set up at first, how it evolved, and then we can tell what happened to each of us because we all have some crazy stories. One of the things I really remember about this is how well advertised this was um, and how confident we were uh, in our forecasts. And, and we had a lot less information, a lot less model information back then than we do today. Much right, because less. it's 93, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like you had all the computer models right. because, you know, there was, some, there was some challenges back then. Yeah, and, and, and just the pattern, the way that's set up, uh, the long wave patterns and everything, we had a lot of confidence that this was going to be a, a big, powerful, and, and very, um, you know, devastating storm uh, over a large area four or five days out. And I distinctly remember... Uh, being on the radio. Back then, I did a lot of radio. And I remember probably having the most bold wording in a radio forecast that I could ever remember. Basically mm-hmm. not saying like, Lottie Dob, uh, you know, roads uh, will be slippery for travel, that kind of stuff. Be careful out there. Roads are going to be closed, period, mm-hmm. uh, with this. Right, because there were state emergencies in numerous states. But the, what was impressive to me was the size of this thing, mm-hmm. because you had the, the, I mean, some people called it the cane, you know, but you had that winter blizzard storm in the north, but then we also had severe weather in the south. It was one of the largest storms that I can ever remember seeing in terms of area that being affected, and the European model, this was when the European model, I think, became famous because it had a good handle on this storm many days in advance. The U.S. model, in fact, there was a paper written by the National Weather Service about it, uh, critiquing their own model, uh, talking about how that one had not captured the strength of the storm because of the problem with the physics in the model at the time. Mm-hmm. But the European model did a very good job. That it had a bullseye storm just coming right along. There were a little few changes that that came in later, such as that made it sleet and uh, for a while on the, along the East Coast holding down the snow amounts, but this was a spectacular storm. I was uh, the severe weather monitor uh, back then. Mm-hmm. We had one person that was in charge of all clients that dealt with wind and rain and, you know, tidal flooding and stuff, and that, I, w- I was the only one that made it in. I was the only one there uh, for almost 12 consecutive hours. I Were worked. you like the closest one, Paul? Are you cl- living the closest, or how did you get here? No, I, I, I walked in. Yo, uh, you walked in. It was about a mile and a half. I walked in and got wow. into the uh, studio, got in there and noticed there was hardly anybody there, and sat down in my chair and just started uh, doing all the severe. Well, the that, that thing about this storm, it just wasn't snow. I right. mean, we had tornadoes in Florida. Mm-hmm. We had high winds on the Carolina coast. I think there was a gust over 90 miles an hour there. We had to make sure all those clients were covered as well. Uh, and in addition, it was such a large storm, like you guys were saying. They said about 40% of Americans were affected by this system. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, that, that's the amazing thing. Like, I, I just have a couple of the impacts here, like, that I had written down. So we had, there were over 300 people killed. Mm-hmm. We had tornadoes, hurricane wind gusts in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those wind gusts, for example, 109-mile-per-hour wind gust in Key West, Myrtle Beach had that 90-mile-per-hour wind gust, and uh, in the Florida Panhandle as the storm was going over, over 100-mile-per-hour wind gust reported there, plus some tornadoes that they had, and then we had the uh, heavy snowfall. 
And we and that, had uh, record low pressure yes. uh, with that. We had pressures that got as low or lower than you would see in a hurricane. The lowest places. pressure was 960 millibars, uh, 28.35 inches, and there was lots of records set in New England uh, when the storm really fully uh, you know, it started in the Gulf and then mm -hmm. came all the way up to uh, New England. So, And with the effects on the coast, there was fl massive uh, flooding, tidal flooding, and mm. flooding in times of high tide, and the water could not get back out of the bays because the storm was still there. It took so long for it to go by. And over inland areas, the snow, I mean, there were car capturing, bus blocking, SUV stalling drifts, and mm -hmm. truck trapping ones, too, and you just couldn't go anywhere. Um, I actually slept in the AccuWeather building overnight uh, during the storm because we weren't able to leave. Our younger son was also working at AccuWeather at the time, and, and he slept at the same office. Only mm -hmm. one lane down Afton Street the next morning, you know, here in State College. It's their main road. They only plowed one path mm -hmm. down the middle because they couldn't put the snow anywhere. It was so bad. And like, like Elliot, uh, I stayed all night, and I slept in our vice president's office on the floor for an hour. I think our vice president was here a little bit earlier, Evan Myers. And, yeah, I was like, were you doing like a George Costanza on oh, the yeah. desk there? Yeah, and you're just going to, he comes out, in. But there was hardly any room to do anything in there. So I just, said, I just went on the floor. So I said, I'm, I'm, I'm crashing for an hour. And then somebody woke me up and came back in. So. Right. Yeah, back, back in the old building, we were like sardines in there. You'd back your chair up and you were bumping into somebody. That's right. <laughs> there were in tight old, spaces. Old in church. There. It was tight. I mean, yep. it was tight space. And, I, you know, that was. <clears throat> Guys, that was my. I wasn't even here a full year, mm -hmm. and I get hit with the biggest yeah, it's storm. It's trial essential. by fire, boy. Yeah, I mean, you really I got jumped into right it. Right in, you know. Right. It was unbelievable. So that's how you started building your great reputation. <laughs> <laughs> you did. That's what. That's what happens in these big storms. Let me tell you. I, you know, one thing about this system too. It had an incredible uh, warm front that you know coastal warm front mm -hmm. that pushed back, and the convection. It was thunderstorms just popping up on the east side of that warm front mm -hmm. constantly. And I had to draw all those. Meant back then, we had to draw things right on right. our on our uh, things you, that we faxed out. You couldn't fit the isobars. I had to keep the, well, not the isobar. I was trying trying to draw all the little thunderstorms. There were so many of them. That was just a pain there alone, just drawing all that stuff, and then to keep up with all the uh, you know every hour for mm -hmm. you know sending things out. But then I started getting to the point. It's like, is anybody even working right now? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, right. I think everybody's like gone and. Right. You know, in, yeah. Do you guys remember how how low the visibility was right at the height of that storm? Like oh, yeah. locally here Couldn't, at State College, it was like mid to late afternoon. You could not see. What anything. do you think the visibility was at that time? Except maybe, there with thunder and lightning. Maybe 50 yards at <laughs> 50 yards, right. It was, it was less than a football field for sure. Uh, maybe 50 yards, 40 yards, the combination yeah. of the heavy snow falling and, and the powerful winds and all the drifting going on and the blowing snow. <laughs> Uh, I remember that afternoon, uh, at that time, we lived on the uh, west side of Belfont between uh, uh, the University Park Airport and Belfont on Seibert Road. Very open, very exposed to wind. Oh, so the winds were that. just blowing the snow and drifting oh, it, it against everything. There. Yeah, we, The wind uh, was so strong that if, uh, if the wind picked up a snowflake over State College, it might not reach the ground until it got to the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. That afternoon, I remember seeing my, my neighbor, and I saw him out there like three different times shoveling his driveway before it got really bad and I was thinking to myself John this is useless this is if, futile. yeah I was thinking to myself John if you only knew how bad it was going to be later <laughs> right. today I mean this is it's just ridiculous and I remember the last vehicle I saw on our road on Cybert Road it was about 1:30 in the afternoon we saw a plow go through and that was it we did not see the next vehicle I saw 
was about 10.30 on Sunday morning, the next morning, was a bulldozer yeah. wow. coming down, cutting a one-lane path down our road. there were Because that's the only way they could do it was, was with bulldozers. That was only for emergency purposes, right? right? We were still right. not allowed to be on the roads. There was an eight... eight right, were, that's right. There was a state of emergency. Yeah. All traffic yeah. was told, you know, you weren't allowed to be on the road. And in eight, terms eight, of school closings around then, we're naming the places it was open. They were open, because right? Because <laughs> there were only a handful of places open, and if they read all the closings, they'd have had no time to give any other programming. They right, had, They right. had school closings, I think, all the way down to Florida because they got four inches in the panhandle. My shoveling story was actually non-participation at that time. I was still stra- uh, stranded in the building, and when I realized we, we were going to be able to leave, uh, I called home and asked my wife if she could possibly uh, shovel a small path out through the driveway. <laughs> and, of course, she, uh, I can, you can imagine her joy at, at receiving bet. that call. <laughs> but uh, she tried to do that, and um, we had a small dog at the time, a chihuahua terrier mix, and she was only about eight inches high, and I, I think she was quite uh, terrorized by the, <laughs> by the uh, depth of the snow because they couldn't see out of it, couldn't climb over it. <laughs> and in, in the downtown area, the snow is actually up to the, the heads of the parking meters. If you can imagine a parking meter with the, the thing where you p- put your money in, it was up to that point. I'd never seen that before. Wow. It was Well, and I have some snowfall amounts here because, uh, you know, just for reference, for example, in Syracuse, there was 43 inches of snow. 35 inches of that fell in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So think, you know, when you think about how fast and hard that snow is coming down, uh, you mentioned in the south, Birmingham, Alabama, 18 inches just north of the city. So 18 inches of snow in Alabama, and then uh, Pittsburgh was 25 inches, 56 in Tennessee, and that was uh, Mount LeConte, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, keep in mind, too, th- there was... The amounts, we've seen bigger storms for the 95 corridor. They didn't get as much. I mean, they got a foot. Got a f- up around a foot, yeah. and they had some sleep. They had it mixed yeah. for a time. This there. is a total Appalachian system. This was an Appalachian storm. 20, I mean, 28 inches in State College, uh, I believe, was the, and, and you know, we, we, on top of that, we had gusts, uh, what, 60 to 65 mile per hour. Yeah, I couldn't, and, and when I went home to try to, you know, afterwards to, to shove off, the, you know, my mm-hmm. car, I didn't know which one was mine. It was all completely covered. Oh, yeah. I didn't know where my yeah. car was. Well, I it, remember. It, it would look like sand dunes. Yeah, it, that's all it, it wouldn't was. even look like cars. It yeah. would look like uh, what I remember. Well, you couldn't see the cars. You couldn't yeah, see the cars. Yeah. That's what I mean. So it would. So you didn't it, know which it's one kind it, of like <laughs> just dunes or something. Yeah, you didn't know which one out. to brush off. I just right. started brushing every one off because I didn't know which one was. So, so I have started brushing a car out and suddenly you realize it's not yours. It's not yours. You did somebody else a favor, but yeah, I have an opposite story. Like Paul was stranded here and Elliot was stranded. Here. I was at home. I was off that day. That's that Saturday, Friday night, Saturday. I had to work Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so it took me, and we don't have a big driveway, or we didn't at the time. It took me probably two and a half hours to shovel out of my driveway to get out onto that path that the bulldozer had cut on our uh, on Cybert Road. Yeah. Then I, I had, at that time, I had a full-size pickup truck and, and four-wheel drive and good tires. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm going into work. I'm on my way. So I get out on the Cybert Road, and I'm going down. It was like going through a tunnel. Yeah. I was li- it was so narrow, I was literally, it was a full size, not a smaller, like an, a Chevy S10. So, so both I was sides scraping. are like walls. I both was scraping, sides. you know, yeah. I was scraping the snow banks on either side uh, every now and then. Um, I get out to Rock Road. That's oriented northwest to southeast, and that the winds were blowing northwest. It was pretty much parallel. So that was open. It was snow-covered, but it was open because the winds were blowing parallel to the road then i make the right turn 
I go an eighth of a mile down the road, and there's this huge mountain of snow right on the road. Oh they my had gosh. must must have cleaned off the runways yep. and no place to dump it, and they dumped it right there. Oh. So I couldn't. I had to back up, put it into reverse, back up. So you had to reverse just to get out of there. Just to re- get out of there, go down, eventually wind my way out to College Ave and into town. Then I made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was here for whatever, 12 so, hours, so 13 saying, hours. So you're saying if you had a pair of skis, you would have been better. Than yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was, what a feeling going down the road. There's this huge mound. I mean. But it was cold. I mean, they just dumped all the snow from the runway, the runways of, of University Park Airport. Just they dumped just it dumped there. it right on Well, Fox they're like, Hill they were thinking nobody's going to be on the road. Nobody's going to be they on the road. They didn't account for you. <laughs> not, not some goofball from AccuWeather. Right. Well, after the fact, there was speculation about why such a large storm had been able to develop. And one idea at that time, and I don't think anyone can actually prove this, was that it was part of the effect left over from the eruption of the major volcano Pinatubo in 1991. There were spectacular sunsets and sunrises visible just about everywhere around the world right after the volcano, and it caused some cooling. Mm -hmm. And for example, one that erupted in 1815 led to the year without a summer, 1816, in New England, where there was frost and snow in each of the months. So here was this cooling taking place, an uh, interruption in the overall warming process, and then this large storm. Now today, we would actually think that the large storm actually could be associated with warming. Right. Because these, the, 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 larger, the larger storms are able to gather more moisture. There's more moisture in the air than there was, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Because of warming, the atmosphere can accommodate more water vapor when it's warm than when it's cold. And so there's all that more fuel to fuel a storm like this. That's mm-hmm. what has been mm-hmm. attributed. Uh, many of the recent floods and severe storms have been attributed to that kind of, that effect. Oh, okay. And the research has shown that you know some of these big volcanoes eruptions, they the the pattern can be affected for two to three years afterwards. So mm-hmm. even though it happened in '91, right? It, right. right. The storm happened in '93, three. so it can have right. an effect on yeah. it. So. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, there wasn't necessarily as much snow because it changed over with sleet and, you know, mix there along the I-95. But even those wind gusts, like I, I have some of the wind gusts from there, Fire Island, New York, 89 mile per hour wind gust, 81 miles per hour in Boston, 66 miles per hour gust in Philadelphia. So just the storm the power of that storm itself on top of the fact that you know some of those places had 10 to maybe 12 inches of snow the good thing with that wind was that it was not in the summertime during hurricane season because with the trees in leaf oh right so many of them would have been blown down like with hazel in 1954 hundreds of thousands of trees in pennsylvania were blown down by that storm and the winds weren't any stronger in that than they were from this in fact probably a little weaker but since the trees were barren they're they're they didn't offer as much resistance to the wind, and so th- this did not create that much of a trouble. And there was less power outages, fewer power outages than you might have thought, because in the area where the heaviest snow was a powdery snow, and there was so much wind, it didn't really accumulate on the wires. Yeah, and, oh, and in addition, okay. Elliot, yeah. uh, if you remember that pattern that that winter, I think there were some some snows that had occurred uh, earlier um, right. in Feb in February uh, earlier that winter. That were more either were wetter snows, and they did cause some tree and limb damage. Uh, and I think a lot of the weak limbs in that were already gone already from gone. some of those trees, and so you didn't 
you know, you had you didn't have as much. I was it was amazing. Natural as, as, pruning. Yeah, natural pruning, mm-hmm. and I was it was amazing that we never lost power. Um, we that were, is amazing. We were we. I mean, we were burning wood at the time. It heated the whole house, and we were fine. We were ready. You were prepared but, for it. But right. it, we never lost our power, as unbelievable as that is. You know, I don't think we did either. And thank goodness Hardy's didn't, didn't either. <laughs> because that's because where you ended up walking to. the only restaurant that was open <laughs> thanks to Can our buddy uh, Elliot Abrams and, here. And Dummy Can here, sent him out to get them. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine, <laughs> though? He sent out a pack. And you can't imagine their joy when I asked them. If didn't didn't you have a chain, like, hooked we, up to you on your, <laughs> listen, on your leg? In case you didn't make a pack. We We had no money. We had a vending machine in the other room, and it was garbage. And we had nothing to eat. And and Elliot says, "Well, go down to Hardy's." And I'm like, "It's not going to be open." So we said we did anyway. So we took a walk down the. I think it was I don't know four or five of us. We get down to Hardy's, and they're actually nope. digging out. They were digging out oh the my one side. God. Forget the other side; it was completely covered. But we got in on the one side, and I said, "You guys open." We're open for business. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you imagine being employed at Hardy's that has to go to work? <laughs> it was the owner and one other person. Oh, so oh okay. We had to wait a while. Say. And in fact, I was only I was offering to help them out if they wanted to. But <laughs> it was... it was. I'll uh, work for uh, roast beef sandwiches. I know. We just, you're, we you're the salt on the fries guy, right? Well, they got a little bit nervous because they thought they saw four of us. But then we ordered for everybody. And they're like, are you kidding me? Oh, and I'm like, we, we got to eat. Well, and we want to make it worthwhile. You guys are open. Open, well, so. Elliot slipped us of, you know, some money over oh, there. I said, if Elliot's buying, yes, we're going to take advantage of this. <laughs> well, you know, the, this storm, can you guys just explain to me, uh, because we kind of didn't break it down, but can you explain the dynamics that that just created this monster? Well, you had a huge high-pressure area in place first, a massive area of cold air. And dry air. And dry air. Yep. And then you had this strong, much stronger than average system in the upper atmosphere along with a very strong jet stream. And they both happened to develop at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. And so the storm just had a huge area, of area to capture moisture from, the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic off the East Coast. And the pressure difference between the storm and the high pressure to the north helped generate the very strong winds. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of these storms we see... Um, they're a smaller scale, the, the short wave or the disturbance aloft that causes the surface storm might be, you know, covering a small portion of the country. Over This is what, this was a classic, what we would call a full latitude, or in Joel Myers's, Dr. Joel Myers's words, a full latitude trough. <laughs> um, yes. it, it was, it was, I mean, it, it covered such a huge area. It was a classic, what you would call a full latitude trough. Um, and all the everything just came together and just almost a, a perfect, a, a, you know, a, a textbook case. That mm-hmm. What you would, you know, every if, if, if ingredient you to, that you, you would have to get to all add. your ingredients together mm-hmm. to form this this monster storm. That was it. That that was it. Amazing storm. So the uh, storm of the century was appropriate. You think? <laughs> Absolutely. The storm of uh, biblical proportions, biblical as, proportions. Uh, as one of our forecasters put on and a the depth, trucking And map. the depth was a testament to that. And, it started, <laughs> and, and I get hit with the biggest and, storm to start of my career. And, and being a weather ween, I mean, you love storms. You love all, all kind of crazy weather. And I remember right at the height of that storm, I heard this flapping noise, like this banging and flapping. And I was like, oh, no, is our, is our siding loose? So mm-hmm. I actually I bundled up. Got uh, went outside around the side of the house, and I found it, I saw it was actually our neighbor's uh, house. I think they were aware of it, but you know, I made sure I called called them and, and let them know. But I was out literally for like five minutes, 
mm-hmm. and maybe like you know 15 feet from the house and that was at the height of the storm with the visibility the wind and it was scary mm-hmm. i mean and here's yeah, it's downright scary. Wing. i love i love cra- and i was actually scared to be outside it's like i was very glad when i got inside mm-hmm. you know being outside and we were for glad that we'd use all that wording in the forecast before about how it would be impossible to get through the roads would be closed it wasn't just oh slippery driving conditions no. or hazardous you know this was a disaster you, right. you, you pulled out the stops so, you know you, you were as bold as you could possibly be with the wording as it was coming up the coast i actually had another scare our uh, older son had been over in england uh, part of a something he was doing during that, that semester and he was coming back at the time of the storm we didn't even think their plane would take off it was de- supposed to go to philadelphia and when they saw what the storm was doing in philadelphia they, they diverted it to charlotte and i hear that and i'm looking at the satellite <gasps> picture and the yeah. radar and that's where all the thunderstorms are heading. Yeah. right yeah. right now, they they made it in but it was uh it was not it was not a very pleasant Right. Well, I know uh, I was looking also behind this. Once it once it swept through, I was checking out some of the temperatures. We had temperatures below freezing all the way down. I think 21 Fahrenheit in Mobile, 31 degrees in Daytona. So then right behind it, it was just See, that's absolutely and this is just before, a week before spring. Frigid. Mm-hmm. You're talking about following the system? Or following the system well, right behind it. Yeah, this is the blessing of this whole storm. Like we were talking about earlier, the power outages were limited. There wasn't mm-hmm. many at all. Can you imagine? I mean, all that cold that came in on the backside, mm. pipes freezing, bursting. And people, people couldn't even go out um, to get to a shelter that right. may have heat. We yes. had a lot of deaths from the storm itself. Can you imagine what could have happened? Good after? point. Good right. point. Yeah. True. Go. True. Well, it's been very interesting getting your perspective on this, guys. I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Regina. Re- really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks, Regina. Great job, Regina, as always, and thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again to our guest, Elliot Abrams, recently retired chief meteorologist here at AccuWeather for coming back in, and also Dave Dombeck, our meteorologist on the floor, and long-range meteorologist, Paul Pastelock. And of course, a big thanks to Paul for going out in the in the harsh conditions <laughs> to get those burgers. You for think everybody. he'll run out and get us a burger right now? <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of hungry. Yeah, you maybe. Get me a burger, Paul. Come I back. Wasn't even, I wasn't here. I missed the burgers. <laughs> I would rather be here just to get the burgers. So before we take off for today, just wanted to let you know that we have a brand new daily podcast called Weather Insider. That's right, with Evan Myers, our COO, and uh, from the AccuWeather TV network. Bernie Reno. Both of which have appeared on our weekly podcast multiple times. Yeah, giving you the uh, top trending uh, weather stories of the day, breaking everything down for you. Right. So check that out and check us out again here next week for our 50th episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast.